You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. Great. Hey, morning, everybody. It's a, uh, it's super cool for us to be here. Uh, my name is Spencer Davis. Uh, for those of y'all who I don't know, I know I know a lot of you guys, but not everybody yet. Um, but I, I work up at Snowbird Outfitters and. Uh, me and Sean and Rob are also from the Snowbird House Church there, um, which is a lot like y'all's church here. It's really cool. It's, this feels perfectly at home. And we usually, I was telling Adam, we usually have like 30 kids just <laughs> chaos running everywhere. And so this is, it's actually a little bit toned down with the, with the kid noise. So, uh, but yeah, this is, this feels right at home. So we're, we're really excited to be here, especially excited to be here for Adam's ordination today. Um, you know, for us, our our whole church, you know, has been praying towards this day, um, and and I know we've been we've been praying and preparing for it as well. It's just it's just really cool for us to be here. That's a that's a privilege for us to be here. And uh, you know, I just want to say, you know, on behalf of of the three of us, thanks a lot. You know, thanks for supporting us uh, personally. Thanks for praying for us. I know that you do, and so that's. That's really huge, uh, and it's really cool to be here and finally get to put some faces, you know, with the little tiny pictures we get on the city, you know, and so it is nice. So let me, uh, let me pray for us again, and then, uh, then I'd like to get started, and I, we're going we're gonna to all three get up and speak, and I'd like to, uh, all three of us are going to use the First Timothy 3, 2 through 7 as a jumping point. Uh, and I know you guys have, have studied through that a bit uh, as you went through uh, how we function, uh, those documents that you have there, which are fantastic, by the way. We got a chance to read through those, and it's just great. Um, so we're going to use that as a jumping point and kind of talk about the different qualifications of an elder as it applies to Adam and his ordination in the, in the uh, service of the Word. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, and, uh, and then I will get started. Jesus, thank you for this day. God, I thank you that... It's a special day here for Sovereign Hope. I thank you that it's a special day for Adam and Lauren. And I pray that it would be that. God, we know that your grace is on this church. God, we know that, that Adam is ordained as a minister of the gospel only because you empower him to do so. Not because of his own merits, but because of the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because of your blood, Jesus God, I pray that even as we have this service, God, that this would cause um, Adam to be bold with the gospel. Lord, I pray that it would cause these church members to be more and more prayerful for their pastor and their pastor's wife. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church, and I pray that it would be a force in this area for the gospel. God, I pray that they have reached the people in Sonoya and Peachtree City and Noonan for you. God, I pray that Sovereign Hope would be just... An epicenter for the gospel that they have reached the ends of the earth uh, out of this building and wherever you take them next, Lord. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about ordination before we kind of go into a couple of the qualifications. Because ordination can be a confusing thing. It can it can seem mystical or mysterious. You know, why are we doing this? What, what exactly you know, because I remember I grew up in a Baptist church, and I remember my dad being ordained as a deacon. And I remember they all, all the old guys went up and laid their hands on him and whispered in his ear. And I always thought, what are they saying? What are they doing? 
I don't understand this. And we got home, we didn't really talk it through. And so it can be a confusing process. But there is a history in the scripture. We can see ordination, that it has its roots in the Old Testament. When you look back as far as uh, Leviticus 8, what you have is Aaron and his sons being ordained into the priesthood. Now we'll see that's, that's different than what we're doing today. Because this is the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit, right? But back, that's where it finds its roots, is that Moses was called by God to ordain or to set aside some of the Levites to be ministers of God, right? You, you remember that the, the priests all came out of the tribe of, of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. They had a special separate ceremony and a set of sacrifices to really ordain or commission this person into God's work. And so the first time we see it is when Aaron and his sons are consecrated with these rams of ordination, as the ESV reads them. Uh, these rams of ordination. You can see it in Exodus 29, 29. You can see it in Judges 17. You can see it in 1 Kings 13, 33, where over and over in the Old Testament, these godly men are set aside or consecrated or appointed or ordained for God's service. Now, it was a it was not a small deal. It was a really big deal, a very sacred service. In fact, right after the ordination in Leviticus is when it records Aaron's sons offering the strange fire. You remember that part. And so there's a very sacred duty that Aaron and his sons had. And I think it's different than what you see here with Adam today. But it's no less serious. It's no less sacred. And I, I think, you know, Rob and I were talking a few days ago about ordination. Just, I think... I think for too many people, it's not sacred. For too many people, it's just, well, we'll lay hands on him and pray, but he's already doing the work, you know, which is true. You know, as we're, as we're ordaining Adam today, this isn't a test to see if he's ready. This is a confirmation. This is a confirmation where we say Adam is equipped and prepared and commissioned for the gospel. We're, we're confirming that internal call of the Holy Spirit externally to the church. So you guys as a church are affirming that with us. And we as external elders of the church, we're affirming that to you guys. That we have seen Adam, we've, we've heard Adam teach, we've watched the way he lives, and we approve. We approve. We're glad to commission him into the service of God. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, and sometimes it comes with warning. Sometimes it's very serious. Like uh, when Paul writes, he warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22... He says, don't be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And that emphasizes the seriousness of this statement. Seems to be implying that if you are hasty in ordaining, and this guy is falling into habitual sin, that you could be, become a participant in that sin by being hasty in the way that you're ordaining guys. And so this is a very, very serious thing when we say, we believe that Adam is ordained, that he's set apart. We confirm what he has already received, which is an internal call by the Lord to be a minister of the gospel. So, what is it? What, what is ordination? It's a, it's a church tradition with its roots in the scripture. We see it all throughout the scripture. Now, let me read this. Uh, William Lloyd Allen says, The laying on of hands with prayer invokes God's blessing upon the one ordained, and signifies that he or she is set apart as a servant to the servants of God. Ordination is a gift to the church as well as recognition by the church of the minister's inward call. In the ordination service, the church receives the ministry of Christ in its midst, midst through the grace of the Holy Spirit and the calling of the ordinance. So, 
in this, this is not a testing, this ordination, but it's rather a confirmation of what's already been tested and approved. We affirm Adam. We've seen his faithfulness, and we approve, we agree with you guys. Uh, we affirm his internal calling, and after examination, we find him useful for the gospel by God's grace. Not of his own doing, but by God's grace. So, uh, in, in the New Testament, we can see the elders over and over and over that these guys are laying hands on elders and then sending them out. Laying hands, sending them out. You can see this over and over and over in the New Testament. Um, in Acts 13, verse 2 through 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 20, 28 I'm going to read that verse for you. If you've got a, if you've got a Bible, Acts 20, 28. <clears throat> Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So, who's doing the ordaining here? Who's doing the calling here? It's definitely not the church. It's definitely not the elders. It's the Holy Spirit. We're just confirming what the Holy Spirit's already done. Um, So we're confirming that the Holy Spirit's called Adam to service. So we see the Holy Spirit sets you aside for service. But also the scripture lays out tests and qualifications for an elder. There's responsibility for the elder in the ministry of the word. So how, how is this ordination different from you guys? In this, like when we lay hands on Adam and we ordain him today, how is that different from you guys? Is, is he called to any more, any, any greater level of holiness than you guys? No. No, we're all called to the same level. The first Peter, be holy as I'm holy, right? We're all called to the same level of holiness. But this is special. And Martin Luther says this. He says, uh, it says, Martin Luther called all Christians priests, which is true. We're all priests, right? We're all called out. We've all been given the Great Commission. So for you guys, you can't sit and let Adam do the ministering to these guys that come to the park today. You know what I'm saying? You're all called as ministers to the gospel, for sure. Every one of us. But when we say that someone is ordained or called out specifically by the Holy Spirit, this is special. Martin Luther wrote in 1520, he said, Priests, bishops, and popes are neither different from other Christians nor superior to them, except... That they're charged with the administration of the word of God and the sacraments. You get that? They're no different except that they're charged with the word of God. That Adam in receiving this calling has been charged to preach and teach the word of God. And that is huge, huge responsibility for him (laughs) and for you. Let me read 1 Timothy 3. I'd like to read a, a lot of scripture here. 1 Timothy 3 is the qualification list that I know you guys have worked through. Um, Starting in verse 2 These are the qualifications of an elder uh, Of a teacher in the church And specifically I'd like to look at one of them Uh, This says Therefore an overseer must be above reproach The husband of one wife Sober minded Self controlled Respectable Hospitable Able to teach Not a drunkard Not violent but gentle Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He will not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And what I want to focus on specifically is what Martin Luther was talking about. Um, back up in verse 2, where he says, able to teach. Uh, if you look at this list, primarily, everything's about character, right? That he, that he should not be drunk, that he should manage his own household well, that he should be sober-minded, they should be well thought of. These are, these are character issues. The only one really that deals with function is able to teach. That he should be skilled and able to teach. Able to look at the word of God and to teach it. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living of the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And this is to Adam. Preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He makes it abundantly clear that the role of the pastor and elder is to teach and preach. The next one, Titus. Titus 2.1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, he tells them to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And that's your task, Adam. That you are a preacher, you're a teacher, and you must articulate sound doctrine. Uh, John MacArthur says... When Paul says a man who desires to be an overseer or a bishop in 1 Timothy 3 desires a noble work, that is the noble work of which he speaks, teaching. We are teachers. We are preachers. We are wielders, as it were, of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is what we do. And what's, one thing that's cool about Adam that I really appreciate and I love is that uh, you, Sovereign Hope, you have an exegetical teacher of the Word. And this is rare. It's very rare. And Adam faithfully teaches. Uh, you know, I, I taught through a series on, or, or one, one session on uh, the doctrine of hell uh, this past summer. And uh, I went back to some of the, the lessons that Adam had taught through on the doctrine of hell. And I know he is a meticulous Bible teacher. This is a meticulous in several areas of life, but a meticulous Bible teacher. Uh, but meticulously going through and teaching the Word and, and looking, going back and doing his homework. If you ever look at anything Adam studies or teaches, you know he's done his homework. You know he's gone back and really done the work. This is very, very rare. You guys, this is a blessing and a gift. I'm not puffing Adam up because the Holy Spirit did this, not Adam. The Holy Spirit has equipped him and called him to do this and gifted him through his specific personality to be able to teach the word of God with precision. Too many pastors get up in the pulpit and bumble through, just kind of laying some precepts out there and, uh, you know, just just coming back to their favorite few sermons. And what you have here is an exegetical teacher of the word. Y'all, y'all know what that means, exegetical. It's in contrast to eisegetical. Exegetical is when basically... When you look at the Word, and through the Holy Spirit, you're able to draw out the Holy Spirit's original intent in the Word and apply it to the people today. To, to teach it and to preach it, to proclaim it, to, to break it down, right? 
Eisegetical is basically taking your own meaning and reading it into the text. This is what happens at the majority of churches. That, that pastors take their own meaning, they decide what they would like to say, and then find a verse to support it. And then when they found it, pull that out of context, mix it with what they want to say, and there's your sermon. Um, I'll say this. Uh, John Huxtable said, A man does not qualify to be a preacher of the word by making weekly sallies into the good book to discover some peg on which to hang some scattered observations about men and affairs. So I affirm you, Adam, and I affirm the church, this is not what you do. We've seen this in you. We know that you rightly handle the word of truth. And you do that with sincerity, with uh, a sober mind, um, and with precision. And that's, that's very, very rare. Um, let, me, uh, let me read this, First Timothy 4, 6-16. I'll say this to Adam, and then, I, then I'd like to address the, the church. 4, 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you follow. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is, in value, is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we, stole, we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for in so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is a high, high calling. The man of God who has been ordained to preach the word, this is a high and serious calling. He says, train yourself for godliness, command and teach these things, set an example. Then he says, read scripture publicly, exhort people through the scripture, teach the scripture, and then personally practice and devote these things personally. Devote yourself to these things. Let your mind be filled and ruled and renewed by the scripture. And so that's the charge to you, is that your mind would be ruled and filled and renewed over and over by the scriptures so that you can exhort them to the church. That you would continually study in precision like you do. Again, we're not testing, we're confirming. You do this. And we're saying uh, that you do when affirming that. But Paul, Paul reminds Timothy three different times of his ordination. Of this, what we're doing right now. And it's really cool. I, I never realized this until I started studying for this. Is that three different times Paul says, hey Timothy, remember your ordination. Remember when the elders laid their hands on you. Remember that. And he, and he says that as a motivation to finish well. As a motivation to preach the word. And not only preach it to sovereign hope, but to preach it to yourself internally. And so that's the charge to you, that you would preach this word to yourself. And that you would preach it faithfully to the church. And so then to the church, I would say, we affirm that Adam does this. You know that Adam does this. You could affirm this as well. 
you know that Adam preaches and teaches the word. But the danger is, for you guys, that having a strong Bible teacher, that you could come in unprepared. That you could come in critical of what he says. And so to the church, you know, if you look at, at 2 Timothy 1.11, Paul says this. He's, he's in prison. He's teaching through the, you know, the pastoral epistles here. So in 2 Timothy 1.11, he says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And it's for that reason that I suffer these things. Because he was appointed as a preacher and a teacher, for that reason he's suffering. For that reason he's in prison. And in Philippians, who is persecuting him? Partially people outside the church. Partially it's, it's people in the church. This happens all the time, y'all. That church members come in, having not read the word, having not prepared themselves, sit down and critique. Don't grow. They critique what the pastor says. And the, the danger for you guys is that, that you would come in knowing that you have a pastor that has done his homework so that you wouldn't do yours. Knowing you have a pastor that digs in the word, that you guys wouldn't dig in the word yourselves. And so... To the church, I say, support Adam. Please, support him in his preaching. Encourage him. Pray for Adam. And feed yourselves. Feed yourselves the word. Be daily in the scriptures. Uh, And to Adam, I say, preach the word. Preach the word. Be faithful in preaching the word. And finish strong. Um, Yeah, it's a... I I remember the charge that I received when I was ordained. uh, And I remember... Almost being terrified at the responsibility to preach the word and to be faithful to preach the word to people. And uh, so we, we affirm Adam's calling in this and tell you that you have a faithful ministry of the gospel. And tell you, Adam, that we see you being faithful to the word. And we appreciate that and charge you to go forward with it and finish strong. So, um, Sean Clark is going to come up and continue uh, where I left off in First Timothy 3, uh, emphasizing... Um, emphasizing a different portion of that scripture. But uh, again, um, just an honor to be a part of this as, uh, as we're ordained in Adam. So, yeah. Hello, I'm Sean. Um, and I'd, I would, um, I'd like to go to the Lord again before I, before I start. Lord, um, I thank you for bringing me and my family here today. Um, Spencer and and Amy and Rob and Sarah and their family. Father, I thank you um, for this church that you have started here. Sovereign Hope, Father. I love the name and what it means to us as, as followers of Christ. I thank you for Adam. I thank you for what he has meant to me personally in my life. The way he has encouraged and challenged me personally in my own walk, in my pursuit of you. And Father, I I thank you for um, what you have continually done in his life. And I thank you that we are are here today um, not doing anything that you haven't already done, Father. We're just here um, affirming the work that you are doing and have done in Adam. Thank you for that. And, um, I pray for Lauren as well, Father, as, as she um, is the wife of, of Adam. Father, I pray that you would continue to guard and protect her 
as the subject I'm getting ready to speak on, Father. It's um, it's, it's it's a subject of, of marriage, Father, um, and it's something I know that the evil one would like nothing more than to destroy. And Father, we take this this very seriously, as we know that every day we wake up, we battle our flesh. We battle um, the evil schemes of Satan, and we battle the draw that this world has on us, Father. But we know, and we're so thankful that we are not at home here. We know that we wage war, um, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, and that you go ahead of us preparing the way, and I thank you for that. Father, just to speak... um, Continue to speak through us this morning and speak through your word. Speak to your church, Father. We love you. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, the husband of one wife. And uh, for Adam, this is, uh, like we, we Spencer's already said, this is not something that we're, we're saying Adam needs to do a better job, which we all need to do a better job as husbands. Um, we're, we're saying that we, we've seen these things in his life and that he is qualified um, as an elder, as a pastor, um, to carry on. And um, um, a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about, um, they're um, prayerfully reminders um, for, for Adam and for um, us as men, as husbands, as uh, potential husbands, um, and good for wives and potential wives to hear um, and so I pray that you're, you're encouraged. And, um, and um, so I'm going to um, start off by saying, Adam, I am I'm continually encouraged by you. Um, I'm continually challenged by you, and I'm thankful that you are a part of my life. I mean that. Um, so First Timothy, the husband of one wife, um, a one-woman man. So, Adam, you're, you're a one-woman man. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a little story. Um, we're gonna go back now in time uh, to 2007. Um, Adam's working uh, with me in the missions and outreach program, which I'm I'm the director of uh, at, uh, at Snowbird. That's that's what I do. I take students out in, in the community, and um, we use that as a platform um, to teach students to take the gospel to their communities. Um, and so. Adam's working with me that summer, and uh, Miss Lauren is working on uh, regular summer staff. And um, I, I guess it was about midsummer. What was it? Week six or seven? I finally cave in, and Adam has been begging me all summer. Hey, man, let Lauren work. Can can she just work with us? I'm like, I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see. And uh, and so finally. I think it was about week six or seven. Um, we go to work on Old Man Styles' house, and um, and and we a lot of people at, at camp had already seen um, the love affair that was uh, brewing um, between these two, and uh, and so not only did we see it, but Old Man Styles saw it. We, <laughs> Old Man Styles, his name is Berlin, and Berlin, uh, he's a he's an interesting character. Um, he lives in a trailer by himself, uh, no TV, no radio. He just sits on his porch or sits in his house all day long. 
And um, if I don't stop by there, or there's several people that live right around uh, camp that, that they'll stop in and, and hang out with Berlin. But uh, um, Berlin, uh, he, he's a cool guy, but um, he's lived most of his life by himself. But um, we're working on Berlin's house, and, um, and uh, Berlin, he's sitting on his porch and watching these two um, – painting and just kind of looking and, and, and just seeing the twinkle in, the, in their eyes. And uh, he, he calls me over there. He says, Sean, he says, what's going on over here? And I said, what do you think, Berlin? He said, I think he's sweet on her and she's sweet on him. And I said, I think so. And so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's where it began. Um, so... Um, a one-woman man um, it does not mean simply that he's, he's married to one woman. That would not be a spiritual qualification. Rather, it means an elder pastor is to be a man who is utterly single-minded in his devotion to his wife. And, and I know that of you, Adam. Um, and I'm, I'm not only addressing Adam, I'm addressing all of us men. Um, and I know that there, there, there are several guys in here that... Um, um, the Lord is uh, raising you, you up to be leaders, um, and um, and 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 in a sense, I'm not I'm not just speaking to leaders. I'm I'm speaking to um, every man that's going to be a, a potential husband or is a husband right now. You are leaders. You are pastors in your own homes, and so I pray that you would take that very seriously. Um, and and again, we 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 affirm this in your life, Adam. Um, and now uh, I'm, I'm going to walk through um, uh, a few things um, that um, should encourage and, and challenge us all as men. And, and, I, and again, I say, I'm saying this. Um, we have seen these things in Adam's life, and, and prayerfully they're, they're a reminder to us all. I know they have been for me. And, and as, I, as, I was, as we were talking about what we were going to be speaking on this morning, um, and, and I talked, you know, I said, you know, I'd like to address... Um, you know, the husband of one wife, and uh, and me even speaking those words, I I, I began to to pray um, for my own marriage um, because I knew um, speaking um, not only you know here but in counseling sessions um, that back at back at camp, I, I began to pray as soon as I know that something's coming up because I know my my own marriage is going to come under attack, and 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 it has. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this topic is so, it's, it's such a huge topic. And, and it's something that, um, like I, I, I was praying, the evil one would love nothing more than to destroy. And he is. He's, he's on the attack. Um, he's attacking pastors. He's attacking church members. Um, and you can see it. It's rampant within um, Christian believers. Marriages are getting destroyed. And so this is, this is something that's huge. Um, and something that um, I know while we're here, here in a physical sense, our marriages are going to continue to come under attack. So be ready. And especially as a pastor, um, as an elder, um, your marriage is always, it's up front and center. And, and, it, and it's always um, under the attack of the evil one. And not only the evil one, but our, our flesh. Every day we have to get up and battle against our flesh. And, and so I'm not only speaking to Adam, but I'm speaking to all of us men. 
Um, the first first thing um, I want to do is read out of Ephesians um, 5, 22. I'm going to start uh, at Ephesians 5, 22. And read to verse 29. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of, of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body and his, his, his himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy with, without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The first thing I want to I address is servant leadership. Um, the way we, we shepherd in our homes um, as, as the head of the house. Um, and the, And... Going back to uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So the way that we imitate Christ in our homes um, daily, um, like I've already said, daily dying to ourselves, daily dying to what our flesh is trying to rise up and do, daily dying to those selfish um, desires. Um, and, and as Christ has done and given us that example, daily, um, you know, taking our cross and carrying it. Um, Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we have to follow the example of Christ. We have to continue to, to seek and pray that, that Christ would, you know, live through us as, as we attempt to love and serve our wives. And, and again, I'm, I'm saying this uh, to Adam as, as a reminder and, um, and to, to shepherd well. Daily serving her, daily going into battle against your own selfish fleshly desires, making war against any evil that would come against her or your family, leading her in obedience to the Father, leading her in the Word, continually shepherding her. And I know this is something you're already doing. And remembering, you have to shepherd her well before you can guide and shepherd sovereign hope. There's no way that you can shepherd this church well if you're not shepherding in your own house. And that's something a lot of, I believe a lot of pastors, um, they forget. And um, they leave their, their, their wives and their families in shambles while they go and minister. And they and it's backwards. And we have to we have to minister and shepherd at home well before we can minister and shepherd in the church well. Number two, protection. Protect her at all cost. Praying over her again again, fighting sin personally and corporately as a family. Time. Protecting your time with Lauren. Set up parameters to guard your time together. Dates, vacations, prayer time, conversation. Try to be at home when you say you're going to be at home. 
Church business, I know it comes up all the time, and I know that 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 she's going to be ready at those times um, to say, okay, go minister. But as, as, as much as we can, we have to be home when we say we're going to be at home. Um, and allow her, um, another way of protecting her, allow her to grow into her role here. Um, and, and I'm speaking to you too, church. Don't place expectations on Lauren that she can't meet. She's not another Adam. She's Adam's wife. And, 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 I, and I ask y'all to pray for that. Pray that her, she would be able to be just led by the Spirit. And her God-given gifts and talents would come forth through the leading of the Spirit, not by trying to meet, meet expectations of you, Adam, or the church. Number three, provision. Ephesians 5, 28, 29. <clears throat> In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. <clears throat> he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So providing for her spiritually, we've already talked about leading her in the word and shepherding her. And also providing physically. Um, and you got a little one on the way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a whole new world. <laughs> Literally. Number four, reconciliation. Taking the lead and communicating all conflict, if handled the way God intends us to, in the end will glorify Him. We have to lead in this. Um, and it's something um, a lot of men don't do well is communicate. And we, as, as pastors and shepherds of our homes, not only of, of this church, but we have to shepherd well in that area and lead well in that area. Not to always uh, be the first to say, I'm, I'm sorry but to lead towards reconciliation. We have to lead in that. Um, <clears throat> and again, I, I, I say these things as reminders. Um, I know this, this is something that you're already doing, and I'm grateful for that. Um, now to the church, um, I, speak, I speak to you. Um, pray over him. Pray over his marriage. Pray over Lauren. Pray over his personal holiness. Go to war personally for him and for each other. Just like I was talking about, you know, my, my marriage coming under attack, my family coming under attack. As I'm speaking to you today, um, I've been there. And I, and I, I know Adam and Lauren, they're going to be there. You guys are there on a daily basis. Pray for each other. Lift each other up. We are in a war, so pray accordingly. We, we don't get days off, and especially as a pastor, as a leader, there are no days off. And you know like I do, when you take a day off, you get your head kicked in. You, the people of, of Sovereign Hope, you can't look to Adam to, to personally grow for you. You can't look to him to carry you. That's on you. That's your responsibility. Your personal holiness is your responsibility. I know as a pastor, as a shepherd, he is daily praying over you, but he can't carry you. 
and and the the potential guys that will be elders that will be leading and shepherding beside him, they can't carry you. You can go to an elder and a pastor for counsel, for prayer, but a pastor can't pursue Christ for you. You have to pursue Christ. Does that make sense? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quote, and then I'm going to let Rob come up. Um, this comes from a sermon preached um, to a congregation in 1794 at a service similar to this. It was an ordination service. Um, Thomas Baldwin, he was a pastor of Second Baptist Church in Boston. Um, he was addressing a, a church um, at, at an ordination service uh, for David Leonard. He said, The faithful minister will keep back nothing that might be profitable to his hearers. He will not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. He will preach Christ crucified as the only foundation of hope, though it should be a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others. Preach the word. I know you are. Church, continue to listen to the word. Continue to seek Christ personally and corporately. That's our prayer for you guys. And again, I'm, I'm thankful for y'all. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and then um, I'm going to let, I mean, Rob come up. Lord, I thank you for um, calling us to be husbands, Father. And I thank you that it is a picture of, of Christ in, in the church um, and how he has uh, died so that we can have life in you. I thank you for that. I pray again for Adam. I thank you again for Adam. And um, I pray for this church. I'm thankful for this church. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Sean's name is fun to say. If you say it really fast, it's like, Sean. Pray does really well. Thanks, Sean. Um, Man, I was just sitting back there I, I, with Spencer and Sean. Each time I was kind of leaned over and I was like, Spencer should just keep going. Like, just let him keep preaching. And I was like, man, Sean should just keep going. And uh, I miss mean, it's cool, like, to get the, you know, to be part of not only what we're doing here for Adam, but, like, what we have in, in our church and um, the like-mindedness and the fellowship. And then, you know, I mean, I just, it's awesome. Um, and I know you guys are, are building that and, and will have that uh, in the fellowship and, and the between the elders that will come out of this church. and um, It's just exciting. Uh, and also kind of funny that everyone who will be a commissioned elder at the end of this day uh, obviously shaves their head. It's, kind of, but it's, not, it's not a requirement. We're not going to read that this morning. Just kind of funny to think about. Um, let me read this passage again, and then uh, I'm going to focus on the, the qualifications as far as like the the character and what how a person actually lives and in, in the testimony that an, an overseer must have. So I'm just going to read the first seven verses again. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, 
who must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Um, I've known Adam like 11 or 12 years, um, so quite a while. My math good there? <laughs> Um, and I, so many stories, and I mean, so so much material I could pull from. Um, one of my favorite Adam stories uh, that I like to tell is, I mean, he was just, I mean, and and you can attest to that. He was a good kid, like his whole life he was just a good kid, and he came to Liberty just a good kid. And uh, I didn't. <laughs> I was very much being um, sanctified from a different degree than Adam, and. Uh, and, and not that it, I mean, I, it, it always challenged me and encouraged me, but I also, like, I wanted him just to get into a little mischief, you know? Not, like, not to be, not to be bad or to, but just to, you know, cut loose. And so, so I ended up somehow becoming an RA. And uh, at this point, Adam eventually would become uh, my RA partner. But um, he was our spiritual life director at SLD at Liberty, which is pretty prestigious. And, uh, and, and so a bunch of, a group of guys on the hall, um, I mean, they, they were going to go all out. And one of the things to do at Liberty just, just for a little bit of mischievous fun was to sneak out to go ring the bell. It was a big bell on campus. And the idea was you ring the bell until LUPD, the, uh, Liberty University Police Department showed up. Um, and then you'd run away and try to get them to chase you because, Typically, they weren't going to do that more than, like, 15 yards. And, uh, and so we, they talked Adam into it, and he gets all dressed up, black shirt, black pants, black gloves, black beanie. Um, and, he, and he goes out. I'm so, I'm, I'm so proud of him. I can't go. I'm an RA. But I'm, I'm, watching, out, I'm watching out somebody else's window. So we had a, our dorm was perfect. We could almost see the bell. And uh, I'm so proud of him. And, and he, they go running out. And I'm looking out the window, and they're running down our hill. And Adam's going, and I could hear him giggling. <laughs> and, uh, and his foot catches, and he, I mean, he just goes airborne. He's like, going down the hill. And, uh, and at the end of the hill is a sidewalk, and then the street, and there was two cars. And I'm thinking, he's going right into one of those cars. And he flipped the cars, but he never, you know, he, he was rolling up the windows, but he was doing it at, like, waist high. And he never got him up here. And, and so he hit the street with, with, I mean, the side of his face and just, bam, and kind of tacoed backwards, you know, where his heels about touched his head. And then he just kind of skid, like, and, uh, and so naturally, you know, I was very uh, entertained by that. And, uh, well, he comes back up on the hall, and his, I mean, his face is just bloody, and uh, he's just kind of defeated. And I'm like, I said, get back out there. You get out there and ring that bell. And he was like... <laughs> So he goes out there, and he does, man. He rings that bell, and uh, LUPD pulls up, you know, and, and so the other, there's like 10 guys, and LUPD pulls up, and they all start running, and the guy gets out of the car, and he goes, stop, and everyone else just runs out and goes, <laughs> and I, I'm out the window, and I go, don't stop, 
And the guy goes, and you can tell he's he's surprised that somebody stopped. He's like, oh. <laughs> they didn't they didn't train him what to do if somebody actually stopped. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, get up, get over here. And I was like, don't go over there. And I was he's like, walks over. And so I ran out of that room, and uh, the guy who was my partner, the RA partner, to be specific, um, he he was. Uh, he was asleep, so I, like, you know, jumped in bed, and sure enough, OPD comes knocking on our door, and I just, I waited till they woke him up, because he really didn't know what was going on, so I didn't have to lie. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but Adam did, Adam, he didn't turn anybody else in, which that was a, a saving grace, so, and a little bit of a scar and a good story. So anyway, but, uh, so as far as above reproach, um, you know, it's a funny story, but, but for real, I mean, Adam's just always had... Uh, and I think some of it is just from, you know, you can see the, the toil of, I think especially his mom, you know, as, as Adam's growing up, and just the, the teaching of the truth and the, the godly discipline that went into their home. You see that in Adam, but then you also, you know, see that it, it's not just from that, but it's from his own personal relationship with the Lord, that his pursuit of Christ isn't just theoretical. It's not just knowledge, but it very much shapes who he is. So... Um, this phrase, above reproach, which really kind of uh, that he must be, and the must be kind of then continues on, um, is uh, the qualification for what, everything else that's said. That he's above reproach really encompasses everything that, ha- that has to do with, with morality. Um, one commentator says this, this really encompasses all the virtues, that he has to be above reproach. The idea is that, that it's almost like a, a legal term. All right, veggie tails. Um, that, uh, that, like a legal term, that no, nothing could be brought um, about him before court of law, right? That, that no accusation could be made about him um, as far as his character is concerned. I mean, and, that, and that's heavy stuff, right? I mean, think about your own life. Could anything possibly be said about you? Like, absolutely, right? I mean, could anything be dug up? And it's like, well, especially if you could get inside my mind. Right, and that we know our sin, and we know our faults, and then, and to think that this is a qualification—what a heavy thing! And as Spencer, you know, rightly said, that of course we're all called to the same level of holiness, right? That this should be true of all of us in Christ—that we're all living above reproach. Um, but for the man of God who accepts this responsibility, that he very much becomes the the mouth the mouthpiece of oh, tough to say mouth out of the mouth. The mouthpiece of God, and that He stands in, in a place in a position of authority, and so yeah, I mean His life is going to be um, looked at so much more carefully, and so to be above reproach.